the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, The Finance Coast and Mohamed Nalla. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. In addition to our weekly free show that you know and love, we have now launched Magic Markets Premium, a weekly show for our subscribers in which we give detailed analysis on global stocks. Every premium show is accompanied by a report covering the company's strategic drivers, its operating environment, its competitors, bull versus bear case, technical trading indicators, and a long-term investment thesis. At just 99 Rand per month, we are committed to making institutional-level analysis affordable for all investors and traders. Visit magic-markets.com to go premium and unlock your full potential in the markets. Welcome to episode 64 of Magic Markets. Mo has got a very shiny and exciting new microphone, which I'm personally quite excited about. Now he's making rude signs of me on the video call. This is why we have a podcast as opposed to a YouTube channel, which would then sometimes need to have a, you know, perhaps a bit of an age limit on it. Anyway, Mo, welcome from Canada with your bright, shining microphone and your poor manners. <laughs> Ghost, always a pleasure doing this. And uh, I guess it's also part of the pressure. You know, you said to me, Mo, get serious, get a proper microphone. So uh, peer pressure from the ghost. Uh, luckily, it changes cool colors, so I can make it ghost purple if I want it to be ghost purple. It does. It's like a fast and the furious microphone. It's very, very impressive. So, Mo, on this episode, we've decided to just talk about the markets. How novel. You know, just some of the stuff that's going on out there, some of the stuff you're looking at, some of the stuff I'm looking at, and just in general what's happening. And obviously, a big part of the narrative this week has been geopolitical, which is the stuff that I think you are particularly strong on and find very interesting. So, I think that's probably not a terrible place to start. What's your views on what's going on from a geopolitical perspective, impact on the market, anything you're doing in your portfolio specifically? Yeah, so, you know, Ghost, I was actually on CNBC Africa last week talking about exactly this point. And I think I was also on MoneyWeb with Simon Brown because it's so topical. And at the moment, as we speak right now, things have escalated. So we've got, you know, Russia supposedly recognizing the two breakaway states within the Ukraine. Uh, it's led to an emergency UN Security Council meeting. And what's very funny is if you look at it, I mean, there's nothing really funny, I guess, about the entire situation, except for the fact that Russia currently holds the rotating presidency of the UN Security Council in February 2022. So it's interesting to see that. I mean, this really, the problem with geopolitics is that it's so hard to quantify you know, you ask the question, am I doing anything in my portfolio? The short answer is no. You know, I'd like to think that I, I'm very risk averse. I like to craft my kind of risk management uh, so that you can ride through things like this. And the question mark is, does it really blow up into a much larger altercation? I mean, as we stand right now, we've had Germany talking a little tough. They've halted Nord Stream 2, which is the, the pipeline that Russia uses to supply gas into Germany. And I guess that's upping the ante. It's a big game of chicken, I guess, at the end of the day. But I don't think either party want to see an outright confrontation and armed conflict, certainly not from Russia's perspective, I think, because it would achieve the one thing that Vladimir Putin, I think, is trying to avoid, which is US or NATO troops on his very doorstep. So let's see how that goes. But I think that's just additive risk on top of all of the risks that we've had since the start of 2022, which are inflation, and we've spoken about the Fed hikes and so forth, uh, makes for somewhat of an anxious market as we're talking right now. Yes, I've held gold since uh, December 2020, as we've talked about a few times on this show, in the hope of inflation, then it didn't really work. 
Uh, now there's almost a war, and then I saw platinum had a better day than gold today. So you know, it's just one of those things. But the reason platinum had a good day is because Russia is one of the world's top platinum producers. So if things start to go wrong there, and who knows what actually may happen? I mean, to your point, geopolitics is actually guesswork on a good day. We really have no idea, and you probably shouldn't panic in your portfolios because stuff can come and go. Markets can swing wildly depending on whether this, you know, this conflict is on or off. But something that is true is that Russia is a big source of platinum, and so any kind of platinum price increases definitely good news for South Africa, which is also, you know, the world's leading, in fact, platinum producer to my knowledge, and uh, that's great news here for everything from job creation through to the rand. The one thing I would point out, which you might remember when you lived here, Mo, is there's signs of labor unrest coming through in uh, in the industry. And that's obviously a major concern. It's one of those classic cases where we seem to shoot ourselves in the foot as a country on a pretty regular basis. Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, on the platinum story, you're right. So, Russia is a very large provider of platinum. But guess what? Russia is also a very large provider of energy resources. That's why you've seen it in oil. You've seen it in natural gas. Uh yeah, Russia and the Ukraine have a very large export market for soft commodities, for wheat. Uh, so you're likely to see some pressure come through there. And then gold. I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned gold because I kind of had it in my talking notes. Uh, you know, I've kind of got this legacy long position on gold just from an asset allocation perspective. And gold, interestingly enough, I guess moved a little before we saw the platinum price peak its head up. So, you know, we've, we've had gold for the last couple of weeks actually performing reasonably well. I think from the start of Feb, you've seen gold bounce off the lower part of what was a kind of symmetrical triangle, if you want to talk technical. Uh, And it's broken above that and out of that wedge, out of that triangle. So that's reasonably bullish on gold. Uh, The last time we saw gold prices all the way up here was around the middle of 2021. And before that, I guess, in kind of the tail end of 2020. So for the gold bugs out there, I guess this is the one time when they actually are excited and think, oh, geez, gold's actually doing something. But I saw something very interesting as well. I mean, we've spoken about gold and owning the miners versus the underlying is that you know, a lot of people think they're diversified if, for example, they're holding a whole bunch of gold producers, a whole bunch of miners, whereas diversification is actually across asset classes. It's saying, you know, how will my portfolio react in the event of these geopolitical risks? And so even though gold's done really well right now, it's only a portion of the portfolio. And I think that's important to note. Absolutely. And from a JSE perspective, something I noticed today is Barlow World took the biggest knock today. And, and this is a couple of points to talk about here. So firstly, why Barlow World? So in Barlow World, Russia was good for around three quarters of equipment Eurasia's operating profit in the 2021 financial year. And once you sort of, that's, you know, one segment of Barlow World. And then once you actually run the numbers, you can see that Russia actually made around 900 million rand in operating profit for them. It's around 21% of the group total. So that's around a fifth of operating profit of Barlow World that is coming from Russia. So needless to say, share price taking some pressure. It was down around 6.5% today. So it's not like people are putting a, a zero valuation suddenly on the Russian business, you know, and nor should they. But this is what happens in the markets. As soon as there's some kind of conflict or scare or risk-off scenario, the companies that are directly exposed to that, they get hit the hardest. The Russian stock index, for example, would get hit hard. And stuff like gold supposedly should do well and any other sort of safe haven defensive stocks. And this is where portfolio allocation, to your point, becomes really important, right? And building wealth versus a trading portfolio, which at times can look completely different to what you might want to hold long-term. And Mo, I know you run different portfolios. Yeah. So, I mean, even on that point in terms of what you expect to happen, I mean, if, if I'm looking right now and I look at what's happened on 
the German stock market, for example, versus U.S. stocks as we're speaking. U.S. stocks are actually down a lot more. Now, part of that is because we're playing catch-up. It was President's Day yesterday in the U.S., Family Day up here in Canada. So some of that's playing catch-up. But at the end of the day, it's also not necessarily the obvious moves. You have to be very sensitive to what's already priced in. I mean, I, I like your Barlow World example because I think, you know, Barlow's have come out. We know about the exposure to the Russian market there. In fact, in our Magic Markets Premium show, we discussed, for example, we covered Pepsi. And Pepsi has a very large Russian exposure as well. Uh, Yet if I'm looking at Pepsi right now as we're talking, the stock's up whilst the U.S. market's down. So it's not necessarily a clean playthrough. It's a question of what's priced into the market. And Ghost, I almost want to ask you this question because I remember if I cast my mind back in the REIT space in South Africa, there are a number of stocks that have Eastern European exposure. So if memory serves something like a Nepi Rock Castle, for example, actually has Eastern European exposure. That was one of the biggest draw cards back in the day because it gave you higher growth but hard currency, effectively euro-denominated type returns. Uh, and I see that stock's also taken a fair amount of pain and pressure along the timeline of what we've seen happening in Russia more recently. Yeah, and it's just traders hitting the sell button, right? So, you know, pointed on a map, where's Ukraine? Squint, oh, wait, there's Poland. Just maybe, okay, sell. You know, I, I, I guess uh, this is where the opportunities can come in, in the market, and where you can actually take a look at this and say, all right, is there really an issue? I mean, for example, on Barlow World, let's say that the next couple of weeks are really bad for the stock. Barlow World has been a phenomenal performer over the pandemic, They've had one of the strongest balance sheet performances of any company I've seen on the market. It's really been quite special. So if this thing does all blow over, as we would certainly hope it does, then there might be an opportunity to actually use it as an entry point into something like Barlow World because the underlying exposures are still where you want to play, which is energy and all of that kind of stuff, backed up by a management team who have shown an ability to manage a crisis with the balance sheet. So if the Eastern European property stocks, you know, fall alongside it as in sympathy with Ukraine, then again, if it kind of all blows over, and certainly if there's no contagion into other countries, and at some point you have to question, you know, like, is this market being realistic? Is it starting to price in a scenario where the least of our problems is actually our stocks? Uh, there might be opportunities to buy. Yeah, so to that point, I think you manage those bigger macro risks through your macro allocation, through asset allocation decisions. It's Do you want to be in equities or not? You know, what's the higher risk stuff? When you go risk off, those tend to get hit a lot harder. Uh, It also ties back to a point that I think we've made time and time again, both on this show as well as inside our premium show. And that is that this is going to be a stock picker's market. You have to look at the underlying companies. What are you actually buying? And in that context, I think it's so important to realize that volatility brings opportunity both on the up and to the downside. So if markets are remarkably volatile to the upside, and if you're holding something that's run really hard, use that. Use that to take your profits, rationalize your portfolios and your positions, don't run any concentration risks. If volatility to the downside is the flavor of the day, use that to cherry pick stocks that you know, that you know really well, that are good quality companies that you think have lots of runway longer term and opportunistically use that to get positions in those stocks. I mean, go some of the stuff that we've looked at over the last year. Uh, in fact, I was reading something this morning saying, you know, it's a headline that Wall Street bets stocks. So every stock that's looked at on Wall Street bets seem to have opened up the day down. And the simple fact that they've those are bucketed together, I think tells you something. Because sometimes there's a whole bunch of stuff in there and not, I mean, I'll run a list, list off for you. At the moment, it's GameStop and AMC, and then your favorite Tesla's in there as well. But then so is something like Meta. So Facebook is sitting in there because it's talked about on Wall Street Bets quite a bit. There's, there's Palantir. We can talk about some of these as well. And 
The fact is, some of them are the ones that just get hyped up considerably, but sometimes there's a disconnect. I mean, we covered Meta in one of our premium shows as well, and that stock has obviously taken a little bit more pain, but some of it is the stuff that's really just up there on hot air. I'll I'll use an example. So something that caught the headlines for me was Virgin Galactic. So it goes by the ticker SPCE, like space. And I remember when that stock was around $50 a share. And at the moment, I mean, I I remember saying at that time that it's probably going to do what one of the rockets do, which is go all the way up and then come all the way back down to earth again, because it's not yet a business that makes money. And that stock, as we're talking today, down 7% at around $7 a share. So imagine you had gotten into this in the hype, in the mania, and that you were using the volatility, but the wrong way. You know, the classic buy high, sell low. You would have bought in at 50, you would have gone all the way down to seven. And I think that's the kind of thing that we're trying to get away from here is, yes, there'll be noise. There's always something happening in the markets, whether that's geopolitical or a pandemic or whatever it may be. And you need to build your portfolio so that you can ride through a lot of that noise and then make your decision-making around good quality, longer-term dynamics. And I think that's what, for me, I'd like to resonate, not just with myself. I say this for myself so that it kind of resonates in my head, but for our listeners as well. I think my portfolio correlations are really important here. And we talked about that with the team from Westbrook You know, on one of our shows recently is be careful of assets that move together and then you think you are nicely diversified, but actually you aren't. So a lot of those tech stocks just move together. It's a reality. And something that is correlated very closely with those tech stocks is Bitcoin. So Bitcoin's not really behaving like gold. I mean, if you draw a great big chart of, uh, of Bitcoin, and Mo, you're the, you're the technician around here, not me. But I've started to learn what a head and shoulders looks like when I see one. And, uh, you know, unless I'm getting this horribly wrong, it looks like there's two head and shoulders. It's like the shampoo aisle at clicks. There's so many. And I think that's something to be careful of. I don't know. I mean, I... <laughs> I don't hold any Bitcoin. We know that. I've made that clear throughout. I mean, at one point we said we thought this thing could go all the way back down to $30,000 and it did eventually after doing all kinds of other magical stuff along the way. It just feels like hot money to me, much like so many of those other growth stocks. And if there's a flight to safety, if liquidity is sucked out the system, if heaven forbid we do end up in some kind of conflict scenario, one wonders what it's going to do. I think Bitcoin is then going to have to prove itself as a safe haven asset and I'm, I'm not sure it's going to. Yeah, so Bitcoin's been very interesting, right? I mean, it's it's a love or hate asset. So we, we'll probably lose some listeners along the way if we say it's bad. We'll probably gain a whole bunch of listeners if we say it's good. And I, I guess that's the point, right, is we have to cut through the fluff. We have to cut through the noise. Uh, if we look at Bitcoin, I mean, you've obviously been spending way too much time with me discussing the technicals because, yeah, there was a head and shoulders. It kind of looks like it's playing out and that goes up from close to where we were at 70,000, the neckline's all the way down at 40. So if that breaks, it pushes your Bitcoin price all the way down to like a 10,000 odd mark, effectively, from where we are right now. When we're talking, it's around 37 right now. So 20, 10, 20,000. What's concerning me is the longer term base case or business case or macro case for Bitcoin was as an alternative. It's an alternative, supposedly, to the US dollar, to fiat currencies. It's an alternative because it's supposed to be non-correlated. And to your point, it is almost entirely correlated more recently with risk assets. And so, so let's unpack that. Does that make sense? And partially, yes, it does. Because maybe the holders of Bitcoin in the early stages were the ones that held it because they believed in what cryptocurrencies were trying to achieve. And in the later stages, as you kind of blipped up all the way, and like I say, you know, we kind of got to like the 70,000 mark then thereabouts, it attracted a different subset of investors or traders or holders, whatever you want to call them. 
And the psychology behind that is maybe very different to the original holder of Bitcoin. So for me, you know, I, I believe in the base case of a need for a decentralized digital currency. I think we go there. But I think it's also a fluid space. I think global central banks are looking at that. And so I, I think we end up with digital currencies. Uh, maybe they're decentralized or maybe they are central bank backed digital currencies. I mean, these are semantics when you split it. But on just the price action, it has come off quite severely. And we're now testing support. And if this support breaks, you know, we could possibly see this head down to a 20 handle, and then maybe lower. Let's let's assess it as it goes. Uh, I, I don't hold Bitcoin right now. I traded Bitcoin. Uh, we had the, the grayscale Bitcoin trust. If you trade it, it was in my higher risk, my trading portfolio. And I, I think we've spoken about it on the, on the show. You know, we had that up at like $55. Uh, it's now down at 25 So I, I certainly missed that, that last up leg all the way up into the 60s and close on 70. Uh, but, you know, not unhappy that when it got into what I thought was really bubblish territory, cut it. And I guess it's one of the good news stories. I mean, there are tons of bad news stories as well, but I think we've shared that on, on previous shows. Uh, Bitcoin, agree with you. It seems to be correlated with risk assets right now. And gold may be finally coming through as a slightly uncorrelated slash safe haven asset. No, it sounds ridiculous. But the last time that uh, Bitcoin was trading at around $10,000 was only in mid-2020. So it sounds daft when we point to a number like that and say, oh, it could get down to $10,000 and everyone wants to throw sticks at us. But it can. It absolutely can. And, you know, from here... That would be a catastrophic destruction of capital. It's even worse for anyone who bought earlier. I'm not saying it will, but it certainly can. And that's the risk when you've got something like this that doesn't really have any kind of underlying cash flows at all. The chart looks uh, looks dangerous. Yeah, again, it depends on what you're holding it in your portfolio for. Gold doesn't have any underlying cash flows either. You know, I, it's it's a relic of the past. Oh, I've heard all of that, right? And so the rationale for holding a Bitcoin in your portfolio is very similar to the rationale holding gold. I've said on the show time and time again, I, I like it because it's gold shiny and it looks pretty. Uh, Bitcoin for me doesn't give me that tactile feel-good sense, right? So that, that's really it. Um, you, I'm, I'm glad you point out the fact that, you know, the last time was just kind of mid-2020 when we were down at 10,000. I do want to stress that that's not a market call, right? So that's not saying, hey, this is definitely going to 10,000. What I am saying is, Technically, I would actually say it's very stretched in the short term. You might see a little bit of a bounce right now from where we are 37 odd. But to the downside, this is not looking healthy. So to the downside, you've probably got like 30,000 and then like 20,000. So nothing goes down in a straight line. Uh, what I can tell you, I said it's not a market call, but what, what, I, what I can tell you is I'm not buying it at current prices. And if I see price action that suggests that I should be buying it, then I will. So it goes, that's the reason why it goes in my trading portfolio, the higher risk stuff. And again, I'm buying it indirectly through, again, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, which is a listed instrument, rather than in a Bitcoin wallet. Your Bitcoin purists will kill me just for that. They'll be like, oh, you've got to hold this in a wallet and you've got to hold it in, you know, your, you know off, um, off exchange, etc. All those technicalities. For me, from an asset allocation perspective, I just don't see the appeal as it stands right now, just because the price action is not looking fantastic. And another one where the price action hasn't been looking great, which I just can't resist, is Tesla. And we actually covered it in Magic Markets Premium in recent weeks. And we, you know, we gave a very balanced view on it. At the end of the day, we pointed out there has been some really positive stuff for that company. But as we predicted, as we've been writing about, as I've certainly been talking about for as long as I think I've been the finance ghost, the competition is now here. It's not just coming anymore. It's here. There are a number of fantastic electric vehicles being released by all the traditional manufacturers. I mean, Ford is shooting the lights out with the Mustang. 
with its trucks, as they call them in America. Mercedes, I mean, the interior on that new Merc is just absolutely amazing. Maybe it's not for everyone, but I think the technology is just incredible. We can go on and on all day. The point is it's not a competitive vacuum anymore. And uh, Tesla's down at just above $800 at the time we're recording this. And that means if you bought at the start of 2021, you are now down around about 10%. So that hasn't gone terribly well. And again, it's the old story, valuation matters. I must be honest, based on the work we did in Magic Markets Premium, this thing could still go down a lot before it starts to get interesting, at least for me. Yeah, so again, I mean, not, not to give away too much again, because I, I want to be fair to our subscribers in, in Magic Markets Premium, but you're absolutely right. You know, we wrote about Tesla. We wrote about where we saw that going. Our subscribers have a proper deep dive on that, where we unpack the business. It makes money. It's just a question of how much do you pay for that business. Another one I want to highlight, I mean, if, if we're going to go down that road, I mean, one that's actually been pretty decent, I mean, we don't all catch the, the these things, you know. I mean, for example, Zoom. I've spoken about it on the show as well. Zoom's been terrible. You know, they just settled a lawsuit with someone who was actually suing them. And I see that stock's kind of stabilized, but stabilized is a loose word. It's 127. And Ghost, you are very right about that. I mean, we spoke about that when it was close on 500 and you said, Seriously overdone. Maybe I was lazy, didn't really rotate that out of the portfolio as efficiently as I'd like. But one of the good news stories, and again, I'll I'll lean very heavily here on work that we did in Magic Markets Premium, is FedEx. So go and have a look at FedEx. And as we're speaking right now, FedEx down at around 218. Uh, The reason I highlight this is for our subscribers of the Premium Show, go and have a look at the chart, go and have a look at the technical levels that we indicated to you. Uh, You're pretty much approaching one of the the key trading levels that we had spoken about. But what I want to highlight for our non-subscribers is that We covered FedEx. We looked at a technical formation on that chart for just the trading purposes, not even the investment narrative. And it looked as though there was this bearish flag that was building up. And that bearish flag is actually broken to the downside. So maybe later on, Ghost, I'll I'll post something on Twitter, you know, my handle, your handle, whatever it is. Our listeners can go and have a look, update that chart, and you can see how that's actually played out quite nicely. And I, I remember I wasn't confident enough to say an outright short on FedEx there, but the nice play, I, I discussed it on the show, was maybe look at some optionality. So you go and buy some optionality. VIX was low at the time. So, you know, volatility, your options weren't as expensive as they are maybe now. You would have gained on the strike price and you would have gained on an uptick in terms of volatility. And so that would have been a fantastic trade for the more sophisticated trader uh, if you had caught that at the right, uh, I guess, the right time. So speaking of one that I don't seem to have caught at the right time was buying the meta sell-off. Turns out I could have waited, definitely. I bought at about 240. It's now at 200, which is lovely. Uh, not... So I'm certainly not selling. I mean, my thesis, well, you know, it's the old joke. If I loved it at 240, I'll definitely like it at 200. Lots of analysts have this in on a buy. Uh, for me, the biggest risk, which, you know, some people have been talking about, and, and maybe it's a real risk and maybe it isn't, is Android doing something similar to Apple, to Meta. But, you know, everything's got risk in it. And at some point you have to take one, right? So I'm holding Meta. I haven't added to the position yet because I learned from Alibaba that sometimes you need to just not uh, not keep chasing something. You know, it's big enough in my portfolio and I'm, pretty much happy with that but a dip that did work for me recently is disney Um, and that was definitely informed by the work that you and i did in magic markets premium without a doubt where when we did the original work on disney we thought sure okay this looks this looks pretty good and then when it fell you know i thought well this is an easy choice for me at least jumped in and it's worked out so far so 
It's definitely a stock picker's market. I think that's the point. I think to maybe wrap the wrap the show on those two. So, I mean, Meta, you'll know, you kind of jumped in a lot sooner than me. I even made the comment on the podcast as well. And I, the reason for that is there's an old saying, you know, don't catch a falling knife. It reminds me of those old Acme cartoons where the piano falls on the guy's head. It's more like don't catch a falling piano. So I was waiting. I, I think the stock on fundamentals is trading a lot cheaper than we've, we've seen it in a very, very long time. But I was waiting to see some sort of price action come through that suggests that maybe this is ready for a turn. I don't think we've seen that yet. Again, we've indicated some of the technical levels. So for the guys that weren't ready to kind of get in, we've indicated key technical levels to the downside. And again, we're probably sitting between two of the key technical levels that we spoke about on our premium show. For those of you that are subscribers, go and have a look at it. It will be there in in the write-up. And then lastly, Disney. I mean, that's one that we always seem to land on quite nicely. Disney's been a nice winner for me. I've, I've kind of added to my portfolio position in Disney on the last uh, down tick and that's ratcheted up quite nicely so again that for me is a longer term play technically on Disney if you're a trader you know there are some things I'm concerned about you know it is looking like it broke out of a symmetrical wedge it's heading back up to that wedge so you want to see if it bounces off that and reverses down again I need to reassess it in a trading portfolio sense but as it stands right now, still a business that I'm quite quite happy to to have in the portfolio. Fantastic. Ma. I think we can probably leave it at that. We'll all certainly be keeping an eye on what's going on from a geopolitical perspective. And yeah, I think the message I would leave with our listeners is diversified portfolios help you in times like these. And uh, just be careful in this market. It is a little bit crazy. And certainly the stuff that worked in 2020 and 2021, where you could just throw darts at the tech industry and hope to make money, those days are firmly behind us if you haven't noticed and from here on out it's going to take some really clever moves to do well yeah coast thanks for that i think uh, that's a wrap from my side so to our listeners we hope you enjoyed this Uh, it's just us talking taking a pulse on the market uh, and seeing you know sometimes the ideas we discuss in premium we like to share those with you sometimes they're ideas that we haven't yet had the time to cover in premium but it's about having those honest discussions around things that we're passionate about so we hope you enjoy this but always feel free to engage with us on social media uh, or via our website which is magic-markets.com and we'll see you next week same time same place Remember to visit thefinancegoes.com and monos.com for more detailed insights. This podcast was for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial or investment advice. Please consult your personal financial advisor.